Sunward Sky, Episode 1.6 Docking The ship was never completely unlit. The crew were split across the three wings of the spacecraft, and at least two of the wings were always active, with the third being on the sleep shift. This shift rotated to the next wing after an eight-hour cycle, and the active cycle was split into two work shifts. Only one part of the spaceship was ever left without the full operational lights, but even in the dark there wasn't complete blackness. Infrared wayfinding lights sat in the ground, allowing out of our crew to navigate the cold gloom of Sunward Sky's twilight. Inside the cabins, the story was similar. It was considered a safety hazard to subject the crew to the pitch blackness of a sealed cabin, as in low-gravity situations the lack of light would make orientation even more confusing. Infrared LEDs surrounded the backboard of the cupboard and cast a blood-red pall over the room interspersed with deep shadows. It was 05.30 based on mission time, and the alarm that Alyssa had set silently triggered. It checked her vital signs through a series of sensors above her bunk, and noted that she was deep in an REM cycle. It made no further noise for several minutes, until she had shifted into a light sleep mode, whereupon the light shifted from the crimson infrared to a cool white-blue hue. It was only once this process had been completed that an alarm tone began in ascending volume, lifting her gently from sleep. Alyssa sat up and dressed in the pale grey undersuit that was to form the secondary layer underneath the airtight spacesuit she'd be wearing later that morning. She pulled on a pair of shoes and left her cabin, pausing slightly to let her eyes readjust to the red gloom of the sleep shift. Then she headed to the mess and fetched herself a cup of coffee. Sitting at the table in the centre of the room, she sipped quietly and enjoyed the quiet around her. There were two people she didn't know in here but they were several metres away having a hushed conversation of their own. Alyssa planted herself at a table and let the murmurs of the pair wash over her, their words as meaningless as they were indistinguishable. It was hitting just close to 0600, she could see it on the display over the exit to the mess. One hour to go. One hour before she suited up for her first spacewalk. The last spacewalk she'd seen had ended in a murder, and had been sanctioned by the same woman who rostered her for this one. The inside of the ship felt at once claustrophobic and cold as well as warm and inviting. Two weeks earlier, after she'd found the monstrous construction in the cargo bay, she'd have given anything to get out of the ship. Anywhere but the endless hallways full of people she didn't know, at least some of whom she knew had no qualms about having her dispatched in the same manner as the poor soul on the spacewalk. Now though, the prospect of leaving the ship on war's orders terrified her. The coffee coursed through her as she considered ways to get out of the ship, but nothing came to her. At 06.15, she pushed the cup into the recycler and stomped aft towards the main docking port and airlock. There were eight suits lined up against the wall. Four of them were decidedly worse for wear, they had name tags on them and they had been subject to myriad modifications by their owners. One of them had five sets of carabiners on the waistband instead of the usual two, another had what looked like a small oxygen canister sitting above the right wrist, and all of them had patches and repairs haphazardly rounded all over them. Alyssa found one of the newer spacesuits, which had a tag with her name written on it. She was still about 40 minutes early for the 0700 meeting and so assumed she'd have some time to inspect before anyone else arrived. She picked the suit up and looked it over. The material was a flexible carbon fibre weave on the outside with a sandwich layer of something airtight before a thick layer of insulation on the inside. The insulated layer was scratchy to touch and held in with netting. It was pressed carefully around any junctions or breaches in the suit. There were sensors on the inside that connected to a panel on the suit's right arm and when Alyssa flicked it on it gave off a series of error codes where there should have been life signs. 
She switched the display off again and continued checking the suit for any sign of tampering. She was bent to her work when she heard the door slide open behind her. She jumped around, startled, and saw a man stood in the doorway as she had the parts to her spacesuit strewn all over the floor. At that moment, she'd been looking at the left arm. The radio buttons were taken off their foam and rubber mounts and were placed carefully on the ground in a mock-up of their original positions for Alyssa's memory. Quickly, she placed the buttons back one by one and snapped the head of the casing back onto the radio panel. She flipped a switch, and the air filled with static from inside the helmet that was abandoned some feet away. It, uh... It works, she said. The man looked at her oddly. He was down 20 minutes before the walk was scheduled to start, and he'd obviously not banked on anyone else being down here. Of course it works, he says. Damn thing's near brand new. He wandered over to one of the old suits, the one covered in carabiners, and began running some diagnostics himself. Yeah, I just thought I'd check, Alyssa said. First time out, you know. I'm a bit nervous, to be honest. The man looked at her and smiled. The tag above his spacesuit read, Lee B. Ah, Terran girl. It's okay, this one's a real simple one. It's a geostationary satellite. We're just replacing some of the equipment on it. Before, we had we were able to spot you accurate to within a couple of feet, but the new instruments will be able to tell you within a couple of inches by GPS. Basic and routine, if I'm honest with you. The man's voice seemed familiar to her, but she couldn't quite place it. He was quite amiable, and hummed an old sea shanty as he worked. After a time, he seemed satisfied and hung the suit up again. Then he turned back to Alyssa. So, first time up, eh? What's brought you on board? Alyssa thought back to the cylinder full of chalky capsules in her room. Not anything in particular, she lied. Just wound up in a tight spot and needed to come aboard. Hoping it doesn't have to stay that way. They all hope it doesn't have to stay that way, the man said darkly. He seemed to consider something for a moment, then walked over to her. She noticed that he stomped with the same weight as she did. He was another Terran. Look, this is my second long haul. Before this, I was doing shuttle work. Come up for between two and four days on a small ship, sent out to fix emergencies on the satellites. I could take enough time off in between that the palsy didn't get to me. Plus, I didn't have to worry about the amount of time I spent up here. Four days isn't enough to for you to atrophy fully. He paused and looked around nervously. You shouldn't keep doing this. It's going to get bad for you. Alyssa regarded him. How do you mean? I get away with it. Barely. I've been up here. I've seen what happens. Even if I don't suffer from it, I'm the one who's been around the traps long enough to understand what's going on between the crew here. I'm still strong, so they get me to... do things. What things? Alyssa pressed. The man stopped. I can't. Just... Promise me after this rotation you'll try to find something else to do, alright? You're too young to throw yourself to the palsy just yet. Why are you doing it then? He sighed. Eventually you get forced to make a decision one way or the other. Alyssa thought about why she was here and what had finally forced her hand into making the leap to putting her life at risk. She could understand what he was saying. My name's Alyssa, she said. He held out his hand for her to shake. Brett. Ice shot through her veins and her heart started pumping at breakneck speed. She was sure that this man would be able to feel the sudden clamminess in her hands or see the tension that appeared in her neck. Brett. Brett was one of the ones in the terminal that had chased him down and threatened her. She released her grip on his hand and slipped her own back down to her side. She didn't trust herself to make eye contact with him, so she threw herself back at the task of checking over her suit. Sweat was starting to beat on her forehead, and he looked at her with curiosity. Time slowed and she felt the thrum of the ship's artificial gravity system through her feet as she tried to concentrate on anything but the room she was in. Brett took one more step and opened his mouth to say something, 
when the door cycled and three other crew members walk in. Brett? Alyssa? War was in the lead, flanked by the long thin man that she'd seen dispatch of holding and another woman she didn't recognise. The thin man made his way to the worn out suits and started checking them over without a word. The other woman seemed less certain of herself and crept quietly to the suit next to Alyssa. Brett gathered himself and turned to war. Just thought I'd come and get my equipment in shape before some of the new crew arrived so I could assist anyone who needed it, Brett said. War nodded. Isa may need your assistance, but I imagine Clark knows his way around by now. The girl, Isa, looked very nervous. Her dark skin had goosebumps and she kept glancing at the hatch-like window to the main airlock. They were in the aft of the ship on the wings, and there were only occasional glimpses of Earth and an endless sea of stars visible in the porthole on the other side. Alyssa was able to calm down now that she wasn't alone in the room with Brett, and spoke to the new girl she found herself with. You okay? Isa nodded. Just never been out before. Drew a short straw on this one. Huh. Me neither. Let's just have a look at this equipment, yeah? Make sure it's all holding up okay. Isa nodded. The goose flesh on her skin was receding and her eyes had less of the dilated panic that they'd had before. Together, the two of them worked through the prep procedures for the spacesuit, double and triple checking every seal and operational piece to make sure the spacework would be as safe as it possibly could be. As they worked, several more people came into the room and soon the space was crammed and starting to slightly overheat with the body mass in the space. At one point, War walked over to where the two women were working on the suit. Alyssa was squatting on the floor, with her elbows resting on her knees comfortably, and the officer stood over her. The contempt was written large on her features, and her eyes were dark as she stared towards the two Terrans. Alyssa stared back. She reached down slowly to the arm of the spacesuit, then keyed the button on the exposed panel. She clicked her fingers over it, and a VU meter of green lights lit up to indicate that it received audio and was transmitting. Looks like the radio works, she said. Isa looked up, but Alyssa was still staring daggers at War. War continued to stand there for a moment or two, then smirked and started off to speak to Brett and Clark. What was that about? Isa asked. An hour later, the four new crew members were huddled together outside. Guy ropes attached to the carabiners and safety points on the hull. The four of them were feeling the same as Alyssa was in that moment, as though she was standing upside down on the bottom of a boat, looking up into the endless black of the sea. The earth loomed large in her vision, but beyond that, the nothingness was so large that it bypassed meaning in her mind. Her hindbrain knew nothing about that space, except that it was to be avoided. Nothing but a beautiful, dreamlike death would await in that direction. Despite this, she felt the all-too-familiar feeling that reminded her of driving on a highway at night, or of standing atop a high cliff face. The urge to leap away, to swerve sharply and permanently into the darkness, was as present as her horror at the thought. Around her, in a rough circle, three of the four experienced spacewalkers cajoled merrily, flinging carabiners around and trying to catch each other's safety lines. The fourth was giving a briefing to the huddled newbies on an open radio channel. The safety lines will not break on you. They are extremely strong. His voice was slightly crackly, and Alyssa was trying to see if she could identify it from the cargo hold. She wasn't sure, but she didn't think so. War was still inside, but both Brett and Clark were two of the three joking around. Your job today is simple. The four of us were dealing with exporting the cargo from the Sunward. We've already docked with the geosynchronous satellite, and we'll be moving it along the hull. You four will be dealing with the cargo once it gets onto the sat. We'll give you stuff and tell you where to put it, 
Then when you've put it all where we need it, we'll send you back inside while we wire it all up. Capiche? Alyssa nodded inside of her helmet, then remembered that she had the sun shield down. She pressed her thumb upward, then made her way steadily down towards the satellite with the other three. Isa was directly in front of her, clasping the outside of the spaceship like it was going to fly away. Alyssa keyed a separate radio channel and spoke some words of encouragement to the worried girl. She can't be more than 17, Alyssa thought. Isa's frame had the dire lankness of someone who had been chronically underfed and was still desperately trying to grow. The spacesuit swam on her, and it had taken several tries to force enough padding into the gloves that she could actually still use her fingers effectively. Her face was hidden by the sunshield, and she was facing away from Alyssa but probably still bore the terrified look she'd had while she'd been prepping the suit. Alyssa sighed to herself. From what she'd seen so far, life on a spacecraft amounted to little more than an indentured servitude. Not too many of the people she'd met were educated beyond the bare minimum requirements of the state, and none of them had come from any background of affluence. It wouldn't have surprised her to find that Isa had grown up sleeping rough, and had jumped at the opportunity for a bunk and regular meals even if she was clearly terrified of space. The enormous solar wings and long tin can abdomen of the satellite floated a few feet above the surface of the sunward sky, having been brought to a relative halt next to it. The effect was eerie, as it looked as though the smaller craft was hovering effortlessly, despite both machines moving at several thousand metres per second. The four new recruits were shown how to safely rappel over to the satellite and were given their positions. Over the next few hours, the experienced crew members ferried small items back and forward from the now open cargo bay. The new members placed them where necessary. A few damaged solar panels, a new memory cache and a series of cable patches were required. Alyssa made sure to secure the packages appropriately. The last thing she wanted to do was annoy two of the men who were already in the hunt for her. The satellite was old. A lot of the panelling was worn and pitted with the results of micro-impacts. It was all a dull grey, and in some places almost black. A series of these panels were being replaced as well, and these items were entrusted to the new recruits to place. The old panels were shipped back towards the airlock and placed inside. Once they were done, Alyssa and the crew were once again able to head back towards the open airlock with the defunct panels, and were allowed to strip out of their sweat-ridden underclothes and shower in a special anteroom nearby. Alyssa pulled on a fresh crew jumpsuit and headed back to the main chamber. Isa stood there smiling. Her white teeth stood out boldly against her skin, and Alyssa couldn't help but grin back. That wasn't too bad, Isa said. No, it was pretty cool, actually, Alyssa agreed. It feels so empty out there. Isa nodded emphatically and began talking animatedly about the experience of the spacewalk. Alyssa was bone tired, but listened politely as the young girl raved about her first spacewalk. They exited the prep room after hanging up their spacesuits and started walking back to the mess for a meal. And wow, honestly, at the start, I was totally freaked out about being on the outside of the spaceship. I mean, it's space, right? That shit is not for messing around with. But then, after a bit, I realised that the safety lines are there for a reason, right? And I could relax my grip. When I was waiting on one of the loads, I started letting myself drift off for just a little bit till I bounced on the end of the safety line, then I'd float away back down and stick to the satellite like an insect. It was so much fun. Like an insect, Alyssa thought. Um, hold on, Alyssa interrupted Isa's excited rant. I think I left something in the prep room. Let me go back and have a look. Without waiting for a reply, Alyssa turned on her heel and jogged down the hall back aft. She flicked her heels underneath her smoothly, beginning to bounce more evenly into the easy rhythm of those familiar with shipboard life. 
She entered the prep room and, checking quickly that no one else was there, walked to the airlock and cycled the inner door. She sprang into it and flung herself at the window. Outside, the four remaining workers were not on the satellite. The gleaming new panels sat where they had been and the attachments and upgrades hung limply from where Alyssa's crew had left them. This satellite wasn't getting an upgrade. Instead, the workers were clambering over and manoeuvring the ceramic and chrome box that Alyssa had seen in the cargo bay. Only now it wasn't a box. It had unfurled, and the insectoid links she'd seen were indeed giant metallic tendrils that were reaching out towards the satellite. As she watched, the spacesuits used tiny, inbuilt thrusters to push the mass towards the waiting satellite. It looked carnivorous, parasitic. The chrome extensions pushed outwards from the globular centroid like the interlocking tarsals of a praying mantis. As she watched, the crew flung itself towards the satellite and the outreaching tip pressed into the metal of the satellite. The thing seemed to awaken, ratcheting itself inward, onto the satellite and enveloping it. The replacement panels served as cold welding points for the monstrous mechanism, and before long the whole thing was subsumed. The bright metal and ceramic wrapped around the entire spacecraft, and four tiny figures began moving away and back to the cargo bay to shut the bay door behind them before heading back to the airlock. Alessa stepped back and nearly ran into Isa as she turned around. Thanks for tuning in. My name's Henry Nielsen, author and producer of Sunward Sky. If you want to get in contact, you can follow me on Twitter or Reddit by the handle Hunting Sunrise or on Instagram at hunting underscore sunrise. If you like this story, consider picking up my ebook novella Eleanor's Mind, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. Again, thank you very much, and I hope you tune in again next time.